Uh, we're going to continue our series on uh, 2020 vision, sharpening the focus. Now we're transitioning away from our areas of service and, and giftedness in the church. We've looked at, uh, you know, the service and spiritual gifts and all of that in the body of Christ. And now we're going to talk about a, perhaps for some of you, a less fun venue for serving the Lord and getting a vision and igniting, hopefully, a passion for being a witness in that. And that's uh, the workplace. So I want to uh, ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 with me. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Genesis chapter 2, just to get us started this morning. And uh, we'll look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 3 as well, if you want to kind of put your fingers there. As we look at vocational vision, sharpening the focus of my work. Work has become a dirty word, hasn't it? That shouldn't be the case. Sharpening the focus of my work. Now let's begin by looking at Genesis 2.15. If you found your place there, that's uh, the one book of the Bible everybody can find, right? Genesis, then Revelation, and then if you get lucky when you open your Bible to the middle, it's Psalms, right? Um, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So far, so good, right? Chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Father, we understand just by looking at two passages of Scripture how the very concept of work seems to have lost some of its nobility. Lord, I pray that you'll show us how you have redeemed and restored that. That we can get excited about a calling, a vocation that you have on all of our lives that which we must do, that which we get to do for your glory. Lord, while this might be an uncommon sermon topic and an unpopular subject, I pray that we'll understand how important it is. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. You can be seated. A man went to his boss began to explain, you need to give me a raise. I want you to understand, you'll want to give me that raise because, and by the way, he was a hardworking man, he was a good worker, and the, the employer would not have wanted to have lost this individual as a worker, but he said, you want to give me a raise because I've got news for you, there are three other companies that are pursuing me big time. And so you'll understand that you'll want to give me a raise, just knowing that these three other companies are pursuing me in a big way. So after some negotiation, the boss finally said, you know what, we're going to give you a 5% pay raise. Will that keep you around? He said, I think that will do. And, and so they shook hands. He was glad to get his pay raise. He began to walk out of the office 
the boss said, by the way, I'm just curious, what are those three companies that are pursuing you uh, so passionately? And he said, well, it's the electric company, the phone company, and the mortgage company. Anybody ever felt like that before? You need a raise because some people are pursuing you. You know, the Bible clearly prioritizes the family over our vocation. Let's be clear about that. And first and foremost is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but the Bible prioritizes the place of the home and, and our family over the workplace. But here's something that's interesting. The Bible talks more about the workplace than the home. Yet there aren't many. Uh, one survey I saw said that 90% of all Christians said they've never heard a sermon on the workplace. And yet the Bible talks about the workplace more than it does the home. There might be a reason for that. You think about the time that you spend in your waking moments. This is an average among men, by the way, that's shared in our uh, men's fraternity Bible study. The average time of a man's awake time. Some of you get more awake time than others, but the average time that you spend awake, 65% of it is at work. 30% is with family and fun, recreation, and home life. So on average, twice as much time spent at work than with your family. And the average man gives about 5% of his time to religious activity, worship, quiet times, and things like that. And by the way, whenever a man is lacking in time with his family and and recreation and all of that, even though he spends 5% of his time in worship and and religious activities and 65% of his time at work, do you know where he goes to find extra time for his family? It's never taking away from the 60 to 65% of the work time. It's always let's take away from that worship activity. Let's take away from that time we spend with God, not time we spend at work in order to create more time for the family. It's interesting, we don't realize how much we actually give ourselves to our work until we stop and think about it. Here's another interesting fact, 80% of men, and I'm not sure what the stat would be for women, but 80% of men feel that they have been miscast in their work. I imagine it's probably close to the same among women, but 80% of men feel that they're not doing what they were meant to do. Well, that's kind of sad, isn't it? 80% would say, on the job, I don't feel like this is what I was designed to do. This is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm created to do. 20% feel like they're doing what they were meant to do, called to do, passionate about doing. Now, it's scary that many people believe that you begin life after work. That one day, I'm going to be able to kick back and retire, and then I'll really begin to live. I believe that's only the case for those who have no passion, no purpose, no noble pursuit in the work. See, here's the truth of the matter. A lot of people begin to die when they quit working because they struggle finding that passion, that purpose, what it is they're pursuing. And I think it's because we get a lot of our theology, a lot of our understanding of of work from popular culture, not from the Bible, not what God created it to be, not what God redeemed it to be, as we'll look at this morning, but rather what society says about work. 
As a matter of fact, I think probably the loudest voice in this area of work has probably been, in the past 50 years, country music. I mean, who talks more about work than country singers? If you go back a while, some of you can remember some of these songs, and some of them are a little newer, but uh, Dolly Parton, right? Nine to five. What a way to make a living. Aaron Tippin, he's working on a working man's PhD. Pastor Ben got that right. That's, that's, that's cool. <laughs> uh, some, of the, some of the ones who are older than me remember this. Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard had what? He had the working man's blues. I heard it over here. So we, we get our philosophy, we get our theology of, of work often from country music. And if it says we're supposed to get the blues about work, then we get the blues about our work. Alabama says we're working a 40-hour week for a living just to send it on down the line. Almost a, a sense of meaningless there except for the work ethic that was something that was considered to be noble in, in a lot of these songs. Now, Brooks and Dunn claim to be hard-working men. I'm a hard-working man. And they describe earning a salary that's just barely enough for getting by. They don't understand why they only are barely making enough to get by until you get to the end of the song. And I don't think they even draw this conclusion in the song, but it says that they spend all their time partying hard on Friday night and spending their paycheck on weekend beauties. I want to say, go back to the beginning of the song. That's why you're barely getting by. It's because of Friday night and the weekend beauties. That's the theology of work from our great theologians in the field of country music. Most describe work as noble, but few, and this would be the same with any genre of music probably, most describe work as noble. A work ethic is something that we want to learn and embrace, but few describe work as meaningful and purposeful, something that they could get excited about. I mean, when is the last time that you wrote the letters T-G-I-M. I mean, really. Thank God it's Monday. Woo, can't wait, you know. Any school teachers fired up about getting back at it tomorrow morning? Any of you that work in an office, work in a medical field, just, just can't wait to dive back in. I believe God wants to bring us to that point. I really do, sincerely. The word vocation comes from a Latin word, vocar, which means to call. And I think that's part of our problem. We don't look at our vocation as a sense of embracing work as a calling. So how does the Bible help us out here? How does the Bible, if if we're going to say, okay, I I can't rely on popular culture, I certainly can't rely on country music to find my uh, philosophy of work that's going to ignite and and energize me in the workplace, then how does the Bible sharpen the focus for, for a vocational vision here? Well, first of all, I want us to go back to Genesis 2.15 and see this, what we read just a moment ago. The Bible reveals work's righteous creation. That work was a righteous concept of God from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. God had created all things. And by the way, in chapter 1, we see what he created in six days. Chapter 2 zooms in, if you will. Chapter 2 is a commentary on chapter 1, and it zooms in on day 6 of creation. And on day six of creation, after God had created Adam, 
this wonderful earth. Adam's a part of it. And before he had created his wife, it says the Lord God put the man in the garden to tend or literally to cultivate or work it. So here's an interesting concept for you young fellas. Before God gave Adam a woman to love, he gave him a work to do. And all the dads said, amen. (laughs) Right? Before he gave him a woman to love, he gave him a work to do. He said, Adam, here's your job. Think about this. For those of us who think of the word work as a dirty word, sin had not entered the world yet. Adam was not sin-fallen at this point. Work was not a punishment. It was a privilege. That's, that's the concept we need to get when it comes to the creation of work, is that work is not punishment. Work is a privilege that God gave Adam something to do from the very beginning there in the garden. He gave him a job. Work was not inherently evil. Everything was awesome, and part of everything being awesome was having a good and wonderful work to do, created for him a a meaning and a purpose. Adam said, man, this is what I'm here for. It was his stewardship of the earth that led him to see early on in the moments right after creation that he was to be a protector. He was to be a provider. If you want any idea that uh, work is a noble thing, listen to what I got. This is just feedback from this morning with our kids. I asked several of our Uh, children's life group leaders to ask kids in our church what they wanted to be when they grow up. What they wanted to be when they grow up. None of them said, I don't want to do nothing. None of them said, I want to be a loser. (laughs) They all thought of something they wanted to do. Just just real quickly, I'll, I'll go through these for you and see if you can pick out your kids. I'll just give their first names. How about that? Lane wants to be a Marine. Matthew, a chef. That's cool. Um... Carly, a veteran, a veterinarian. Carson, a teacher. Peyton, a dairy farmer. Cooper, a football player. Matt, a policeman. Macy, a PE teacher. Ella, a swim coach. Allison, we have another veterinarian. Joshua, a shipbuilder. Logan, a preacher. Logan's my buddy. Thomas, video game tester. Gabriel, a dairy judge. That's cool because we've got a dairy farmer and now a judge. Ian, a construction worker. Sam, Navy SEAL. Wow. Parker, baseball player. Imagine that. Ethan, volunteer firefighter. Pastor Ben will tell you, you can get paid for that too, right? All right. This is former job. Maggie, a hairstylist. Sadie Brooke wants to do fingernails and toenails. <laughs> Brenton, a baseball player. Hannah, a dentist. Matt, Wants to work with a police canine unit. Those have to be the coolest police officers, right? Zachary, an artist. 
Keaton, baseball player, Allison, a teacher, and Addie Ray, we have another veterinarian. I think veterinarian kind of wins out there. Veterinarians and baseball players, we have military careers. See, these kids have something that they want to do, and that says something about the nobility of work. It's not a negative thing. It's not a have to do it. It's one day we get to do it. Work is a responsibility, which means purpose, meaning, and drive in life. John chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus is explaining when they were talking about working on the Sabbath. He said, let me tell you something about my heavenly Father. He is always at work. God is always at work. And here's the cool thing about God being at work. God is always inviting us to join him in that work. So he's always at work, and he's always inviting us to join him in that work. The question we have is, how do I take my vocation? How do I take this job and make it part of God's work? Make it something I can get excited about, passionate about, and look forward to. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we see that Adam is taking inventory. He's working on his first day. Now, most of us, if we get a job, we kind of hope that on the first day, we don't have to do that much, right? I'm just going to learn a few things. Here is Adam. He's on the first day. How do we know his first day? Eve hasn't even been created yet. And he's taking inventory. And we know according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and verse 31, that Eve was also created on day 6 of creation. So before Eve's created, on the first day, Adam is working from the very beginning. He's, he is working as part of God's plan, as part of God's purpose. It's what he's all about. And that's what we need to understand about the nobility of work. If you spend your life trying to figure out how to get out of work, you're going to not enjoy life because you were created to work. Created to make it. So if you spend your life trying to figure how to get out of work, you'll, you'll make yourself miserable. If you say, you know what, I'm going to spend my life living and looking forward to retirement, or to quote another country singer, I'm living my life for five o'clock somewhere, right? Then we'll make ourselves miserable and we'll never embrace all that life has to offer. We'll miss out on something. You say, well, you know, but, but I believe, believe that God's called me to be a, a, a stay-at-home mom. And by the way, I think that is a most noble pursuit. But by the way, I, I've heard before that the stay-at-home mom, if she got paid for all the work that she has to do, then it'd be uh, about $250,000 a year. If a stay-at-home mom actually got paid for all the work that she has to do. So uh, stay-at-home moms have a noble work to do. It's uh, male, female, w- w- God's given us all a work to do, a work to pursue. And so if you spend your time trying to think, how can I get out of the work? How can I get rich quick? Then we'll miss our very reason and passion for existence. Now, I want you to understand how how this became a, a drudgery thing. How did it come to be that work and the word work has such negative connotations? And some of you young fellows are kind of like, well, if you knew my dad and how hard he worked me, then you would understand how that came about. But the Bible, number two, reveals... Works resources, cursed. The resources we have to work with in this world 
were cursed as part of the fall of man. Interestingly, we looked at chapter 3 of Genesis in our life group time this morning, but I want us to look specifically on how it impacted our work. Verse 17 of chapter 3, God said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground. Now, what was Adam's work from the very beginning? Cultivation. It was agriculture. Now those natural resources he had to work with were cursed. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. You're going to work hard by the sweat of your brow, the thorns, the thistles. It's going to make work difficult. In the sweat of your face, you'll eat the bread until you return to ground. That's where you came from. That's where you're headed back to, and you're going to work all your life, and work is going to be difficult. Not, listen, not because from the very beginning work was an evil concept but because the resources we have to work with have now been cursed. So work is not a curse. It was part of the creation before the fall. The resources we have to work with are now cursed. So can you explain that a little bit further? How does that relate to us? Now, when we look at the resources we have to work with. In an agrarian society, we talk about a lot of the natural resources. And most of the world, up until about 40 years ago, most of the world worked somehow in some kind of agricultural-type related work. It was connected some way, somehow. The, the natural resources were all cursed. The ground's cursed. Later on, mankind invented all kinds of equipment, right? How many of you have ever worked with agricultural equipment? Not only is it cursed, it makes you want to curse, right? Cursed. We live in a sin-fallen world. Stuff breaks down. Not the work, the resources. Then the Industrial Revolution, we brought, brought about all this machinery, right? It, it begins to break down. It's cursed. The technological re- revolution comes along. Computers are going to make everything easy, right? Listen, I have had exorcisms in my office with computers, Computers are cursed. Resources. They, they, you know, about the time you're getting some work done, you have a blue screen. What, what is, what's this? Cursed. We live in a sin-fallen world. The resources we have to work with are cursed. You say, well, there's always job security in humanities, right? Just learn to work with people. And that's what's happening in our society today. We're ha- more and more and more of us are having to learn certain social skills. We're having to learn to work with people, all of the industries being kind of shipped overseas to India and to China and to South America and things like that, right? So well, now we're going to work with people. Guess what? That's where it all started. People are cursed. They're sinful. And if you have to work with people, then you're going to have to work with problems because people have problems. People bring problems. I had a friend, Pastor Ben, who was one of these guys who wanted to be a youth pastor. He was kind of like, I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to be a youth pastor. Because you know what? It's just youth pastors have all the fun in the world. They get to go on all these trips. We, we joke about these glorified vacations, you know. They get to do lock-ins. Listen, lock-ins are of the devil if you're over 40. These are young people. They can survive them. You get to go on mission trips, wonderful places. And, and, and th- this young fellow that I'm talking about, he didn't have a clue what he was in for. And later on, he discovered, by the way, not only is he not in ministry now, he's not even in church now. 
Because he learned that it's not always, you say, well, what, he learned that it's not easy to work with teenagers, is it? It can be tough working with teenagers. No, he learned it's tough working with teenagers' parents. Man, that's people. People bring problems, and problems are tough. And we live in a sin-cursed world. The resources have been cursed, and so work is going to be by the sweat of your brow. Whatever your job is, it's going to be hard work. And if you spend all of your time trying to see how you can get out of hard work, you'll miss part of your calling in life, whether it pays a little or whether it pays a lot. Whether it is hard work mentally or hard work physically, it is still going to be hard work. That's part of the sin-fallen world in which we live. So if you're looking for an easy job, you're choosing a major for college, looking for an easy job, forget about it. There's no such animal as an easy job. You're called to work hard. Now, get-rich-quick schemes are typically that. They're, They're schemes. So don't be a sucker for those either. So... Does that mean, Pastor Robbie, you're just telling us all, then we're out of luck. We just got to suck it up and deal with it. Is that what I'm saying this morning? You know, it was wonderful in the garden, but because of the curse, sin, fallen world, now work is just going to be hard. We're going to hate it. We just got to suck it up and deal with it. Not exactly. See, here's this wonderful, uh, Gerald mentioned the scarlet thread of redemption that runs through Scripture and leads us to the gospel. Here's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He redeems us from the curse of sin, which means he also can redeem our work. I'm not saying he makes it easy. I'm saying he redeems our work. So the Bible reveals work's redemptive call. Work's redemptive call. Now turn to the New Testament and see how this impacts Christians in the workplace. Born again, redeemed believers in Christ in the workplace. See, there's a difference for us. In verse 23 of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, and we'll look at verse 24. It says, and whatever you do, and by the way, who is he talking to in Colossians 3? He's been dealing with the family, the Christian and social order, and now he gets into, there was basically the the servants and slaves, the working class, and the non-working class in the Roman Empire at this time, and now he's talking to these, this working class, these servants, these bond servants, and he says, whatever you do, do it heartily, do it with all your heart, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. What Paul was telling the church at Colossae was, you've got a new master now. Paul would even say of himself, I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that as, as a wonderful privilege. I get to serve the Lord. You say, well, that was because he was an apostle. It was his ministry. He was called into vocational ministry. No, he says, whatever you do. Whatever you do, that's, the, that's your work. He's speaking to servants, he's speaking to workers, speaking to the working class, he says whatever you do. What do we ask somebody when we meet them, we, we start to get to know them, at least among the men in this place? We want to know a couple things right off the bat, you know, who you're related to. In Madison County, we meet another man, who you, who you can to. We hear a last name, we start trying to, to trace the family trail, see if we're Related. Who are you related to? Who are you kin to? And the second question we ask is what? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? And by that they mean, what's your vocation? What do you do for a living? And he says, whatever you do, 
for a living here, whatever you do in your work, do it with all your heart. Do it heartily as unto the Lord, not to men. You've got a new boss, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember that as a Christian, you're working for Jesus. Whatever you do, you're working for him. You may not like your earthly boss, your earthly employer, but the attitude that now governs you, that that he has redeemed your calling in life, is one of, well, I'm doing this to please Jesus. And if we will all do our work as unto the Lord, we could change the world just in our workplace. This does not mean that you have to consider yourself stuck in your current situation. He was not telling them, by the way, and don't ever try to improve your situation, don't ever change jobs, just kind of, does not mean that you can't pursue other opportunities. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 and 21, he's talking to the, these servants, this working class. He says, if you have the opportunity to change your situation, to better your situation, to get in a better situation, he says, go for it, do that. Take advantage of that. But if you can't get out of that situation, then you're serving as unto the Lord in that situation. And if God provides you something that you would consider a better fit, then you're serving there as unto the Lord. Now, for some of you who are sitting here this morning wondering, I just, I'm one of those, I don't feel like I'm doing what I was meant to do. I don't feel like I'm doing what I was created to do. I can't get passionate about this. I just feel stuck in this environment. Let me give you a little tool. Write this down. Look it up later. We can help you with this if you need a little help logging in and things like that. But there's a website called YourUniqueDesign.com. YourUniqueDesign, one word. YourUniqueDesign.com. You go to this website, and it does one of these uh, wonderful personality profiles, but from a Christian perspective, and it describes the best possible working environment for you. And it's, it's, it's a pretty extensive survey. But uh, I know of some good Christian life coaches that use this website, use this tool It's a great tool to help you find out what it is that will give you uh, what some of us men talk about is that Friday night lights feeling, what really would light your fire and make Monday morning worth looking forward to. Um, So it's cool to try to improve your situation. It's, It's cool to say, I need to find something that's a better fit, better pay, better work environment. Or maybe the boss isn't somebody I feel called to support or work for. That's okay, but don't leave prayer, the peace of God, the Holy Spirit of God, out of this whole situation because God may have you right where he wants you and he wants to show you how to redeem your current workplace, your current working environment by being properly motivated, properly motivated. Now, I want to give you just four levels of motivation in the workplace, We'll close out with these four levels of motivation. And I want you to kind of ask yourself the question, what motivates me when I go to work every day? That's where we struggle, right? It's when you wake up in the morning, a lot of you are going to struggle with this area of motivation. What's going to really get me going? What's going to motivate me to get after it today? Well, the first level, the lowest level, by the way, all of these are biblical. All these levels are biblical motivations. It's just that they increase and significance and levels of motivation. The first level is what we call the paycheck level. The paycheck level. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 basically says if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> yeah, if you don't work, 
You don't eat. That's the paycheck level. I've got to get a check. I've got to work because I've got to eat. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 8 says that if you don't provide for your family, if you don't provide for those that are close to you, you're worse than an infidel. Speaking to Christians there, he says if you don't work to provide for your family, you're worse than a lost person. Ecclesiastes 5, 19. Solomon reflects on being able to enjoy the fruit of your work, a standard of living, enjoying life. That's the paycheck level. It's okay to work for a paycheck. That's biblical. There are scriptures that tell us that that is a motivation. I got to get up. I got to go to work. If I don't work, I don't eat. I got to get paid. That's paycheck level, but there is a better level, and that's called the passion level. The passion level is what Solomon is referring to in Ecclesiastes 2.24 when he says we can find meaning in our work, we can find satisfaction that is from God even in our work. Teddy Roosevelt said this, we have the greatest opportunity. The greatest opportunity is to be able to work hard at work worth doing. So it's great to go to work for a paycheck, but you're even more motivated if you can go to work to do something you believe is worth doing. And so that's why some of you may want to go to that website, youruniquedesign.com. You may say, I'm doing a work, but I just don't know if it's worth doing. Now, maybe God will show you how he has redeemed what you are doing and making it worth doing. But we're a little more driven, a little more motivated when we get, get to the passion level. The third level is philanthropic. This is where we want to help others out. First Peter 4.10, last week we looked at. We're to use our gifts and abilities to serve others. That's not only at church, that's in our vocation. To be able to say, you know what, I have some abilities, I have some talents, and I want to use those to serve others. When you can begin to say about your work, your workplace, your work environment, when you can get to the place where you're saying, man, I'm helping people out. I'm helping somebody. This is making somebody's life better then as a result of that, you're going to be more motivated because you're motivated by the desire to serve others. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 talks about working hard to make money so that you can give to others, that you can be a blessing to others. And so that's the the third level. Now, see how that's increasing a little bit? I'm not just getting up every morning because I've got to make a paycheck, but that's biblical. I'm not just giving up because there's, there's meaning. I enjoy my work. That's biblical. But now I'm saying, you know what? I want to go to work because I'm going to help somebody today. I'm going to be a blessing to somebody else. Maybe directly while I'm on the job, maybe indirectly if somebody receives the product that I worked on, or maybe indirectly because of the paycheck I get, I'm going to be able to take that and I'm going to be a blessing to somebody else. I've seen people be a blessing to others before and thought, you know, I I didn't think they had that to give, and yet they gave it to be a blessing to somebody else, and they would respond, well, God gave me a little overtime this week, so I was able to help somebody else. What they were saying by that is, I was motivated to do the overtime so that I have the ability, the opportunity to help somebody out, philanthropic level. And then the final level, the highest level, is the purpose level. The purpose level, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 talks about earning to invest your first fruits in the kingdom of God, to say, you know what, I'm living for something that's bigger than this world. 
And so I'm going to work so that I'll be able to invest in God's work in the kingdom of God. And then this verse we're looking at here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, whatever I do, I'm doing it as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that one day from the Lord I will receive the reward. When I'm working to glorify God and impact people, then I'm going to be more motivated. I'm going to want to wake up and ask this question, how can I give God glory in the workplace today? Now, that means we have to begin to see our work from the eternal perspective. We have to see our work from the big picture. It's hard for us to do sometimes. There were three men that were laying brick. They were bricking a wall. I've got good friends that are bricklayers. They were bricking this wall, and somebody walked up to one man who was in one place on the wall and said, what are you doing? And he looked at him and said, I'm laying brick. What does it look like I'm doing? They walked up to another one and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a wall. What does it look like I'm doing? Walk up to the third one and said, what are you doing? And he said, we're building a hospital that's going to be used for the blessing and the healing of many. Or we're building a church that's going to be a house of worship for so many to come to faith in Christ. You see the difference there? All three of them were doing the same job in the same place. But one saw it as, I'm just laying a brick. The other saw it as, I'm building a wall. The third one saw it as, I'm making a difference in my world. So that's the redemptive value, the redemptive call of work. By the way, what has Jesus been doing ever since he ascended? What did he say he was going to do? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I realize he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's a a, a spiritual position of power and authority. But his actual, it's not, well, he's not just sitting, sitting there waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. He's working. He's been at work all of this time for me and for you, preparing a place for us so that where he is there, we will be able to be with him one day as well. Our Father is always at work. Now, next week, we're going to look at how to be a witness in the workplace, how to to look at your workplace, your work environment as a mission field and make a difference in that mission field. But I want you to ask you this question today. If Jesus is working for us. And he always had, by the way, his hardest work wasn't going to prepare a place. His hardest work was spiritually preparing that place when he went to a cross for me and for you. Think about that as motivation next time. You find yourself at work. You're in the workplace and you're going, man, I hate this. I hate being here. I don't like working with these people. If God really loved me, he would not have me in this situation right here. Think about the fact that he, in his work, went to a cross for you. And whatever you have to do on Monday morning, whatever you have to do in your place of work will never be as difficult as what Christ went through for you on the cross. And if he did that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he saw the big picture. Then I'm praying God will help you see the big picture in your work environment, in your workplace. There's that redemptive call on your work. Find out how God has redeemed your work for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?